Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil Alemin. Sallallahu aleyhi ve sellem ala seyyidina Muhammed ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve sellem. Nüveyni te'allamu ve te'allimu ve tezekkuru ve tezekkiru ve nefa'u l-intifa'u ve l-ifadatu ve l-istifadatu ve nehatha ala temesuki bi kitabillahi ve sunneti ve resulihi sallallahu aleyhi ve sellem. Ve dalalet ala l-khayru ve betigha'a mardatillahi ve vajihi ve qurbihi ve thawabihi. Allahumma amin. Bismillah. So, welcome back. If you missed everyone. <clears throat> okay. So I think we left off on number twenty-five, but twenty-three was empty. So we said we're gonna go back to twenty-three and then we'll continue at twenty-five, I think it was. Does anyone does anyone recall? Just gonna, we'll, we'll just go with that. Bismillah. <laughs> it's been so disjointed, it's okay at this point. Alhamdulillah. Alright, so Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So uh, if anyone's coming new, this text that we're covering is called Futuwa, noble character. Futuwa. Futuwa comes from a term in Arabic that refers to a noble young person. A noble young person. So this idea of this exemplary young person who uh, embodies the core teachings of the religion that they <coughs> really they are the religion and uh, we talked about how essential that is to the teachings of the prophets and the teachings of all the prophets actually and each of the prophets kind of represents a culmination of all of the characteristics of Futuwa but usually also someone in particular and then different companions of the Prophet also, peace be upon him, and may Allah be pleased with them, will also embody these ideas. Uh, so this would be noble character. Yes. Really? Let's see if I have the other one. Is it definitely different in the number? <laughs> Let me look. Let me see. Okay. Come on. So we've been using this printout, but now I got the book through the futua of some of the people who attend. So, what did I do? Twenty-two is the same, and twenty-four is the same. So I'll keep it here, and we'll cross-reference. Inshallah. So twenty-three is be loyal to old friends. The author says the following, and may Allah give us and him benefit from his knowledge in this life and the next, and may Allah preserve him. The author is living. So he said, be loyal to your old friends. This one is usually an interesting topic, especially with people who are kind of newly committed to Islam. So let's read what he said, and then we'll see afterwards. Anas ibn Malik, may Allah be pleased with him, reported, when the Prophet, peace be upon him, was given something, he would say, go to such person, for they were a friend of Khadija. Go to the house of such person, for they were loved by Khadija. 
So this is very beautiful actually. So what is the idea? The idea is that the Prophet Wasallam's first love, so to speak, uh, and from human beings is Khadija, his first wife, Khadija. May Allah be pleased with her. And when he was married to Khadija, he didn't he wasn't married to anyone else. And then after she passed away, he remarried Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And after he remarried, he would never forget Khadija. And even as years passed, he would never forget Khadija. So people would uh, bring him things, and he would say, go to so-and-so because they're a friend of Khadija. Go to the house of so-and-so because they were friends of Khadija. So basically when he would get gifts, he would take those gifts to the friends of his wife who had passed away. So the idea here is this concept of al-wafa. Al-wafa is like to be loyal, to be... Um, it's a hard word to translate really. Uh, but loyalty is kind of there, but it's kind of like there's a loyalty, there's a consistency, there's an honesty, there's an integrity in the relationship. That we have this relationship, I'm not going to give up on this relationship. And it's going to be maintained. Asman, um, Kamal, uh, everyone else already knows. It's okay if kids make a little bit of noise. <laughs> Don't worry. Put your heart at ease. If they start like, you know, yelling or something, obviously that's a different thing. But if they're just making a little bit of noise, inshallah, it's okay. Um, Sheikh Akram Nadwi, Hafidhullah, he's a scholar in the UK. He's written a 40-volume work on the biographies of women hadith scholars in Muslim history. So finally, they found a publisher in the last couple of years. It's 40 volumes. And he, when he was teaching, he would always say that. And there would be kids or something. And he would always say, you know, if, if parents are bringing their kids to the lesson and they want to come that much, then all of us should be patient a little bit and uh, be okay with that. Because look how much they want to come. They're, like it's not easy to bring your kids to, to, to a lesson, you know. But people still want to come, then we have to honor them and, and, and uh, be patient with that a little bit, number one. Number two, as I always say, that we're not seeking only to learn. We're seeking to be enveloped by the blessing and the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the blessing and mercy of Allah comes in the gatherings where Allah is remembered and comes in accordance with the pureness of the people who are in attendance also. And so uh, there's more likelihood that there's benefit in the sounds the kids are making than in the sounds that I'm making. So alhamdulillah, it's, it's all good, alhamdulillah. You don't, we don't know. We don't know where the barakah comes from. It's really important to remember this. <coughs> Ibn Ata'ala radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, قَلَّمَا تَأْتِ الْوَارِدَاتٍ إِلَّا بَغْتَ صِيَانَةً لَهَا أَنْ يَدْعِيَهَا الْعِبَادِ بِوَجُودِ الْإِسْتِعْدَادِ He said that it's very rare. He basically, it's, he said that essentially, when the blessings from Allah come down on the heart of a person, because this is something we believe actually, is that those feelings that we have inside, those really good ones, like gratitude, mercy, a certain deeper understanding of our relationship with God, a certain relationship with human beings, all these things are understandings that come to the heart of the person. So he says it's very rare that those things come to the heart of the person except as a surprise. And he said this is a protection so that the people can't claim that they made that come because of something they did. Right? 
People sometimes they think, okay, I'm going to do this thing, then this is going to happen. And what happens then is the person, say for example, I worship, right? Someone, they pray their five prayers, they pray at night, they make extra dhikr, they read Quran, they do all of these things. And if Allah gives them what they're looking for all the time in their heart when they do those things, then they start to think it's those things that are giving them those, that, that feeling, right? It's not. It's actually Allah. So, this, it come, so part of the way that Allah protects the relationship even of His servants with Him is that He varies this. So that we understand. It's not, it's not like some formula you plug it in and automatically you get the result. And all of us have experienced this. I remember one year I was at this retreat with uh, some college students. And subhanAllah, out of nowhere, the first night of the retreat was incredible. Like it, it just, things came together in a certain way. Like we had this little talk and then there was like a fire in the, in the, in the fireplace and everyone, like things just really came together beautifully, right? So much so that I knew when people are coming back the next year, they were expecting the first night to be the same as it was the night before, the year before, you know? Until it doesn't work like this. It's not how we don't worship Allah like He's not our servant. We're His servants, right? So anyways, all of this is to say, the kids are a blessing, alhamdulillah. And we don't know where the, we don't know where the barakah comes from. Uh, Anas ibn Malik reported that this thing about the Prophet ﷺ. Another thing that the Prophet ﷺ used to do with Khadija. <coughs> There's a beautiful hadith where um, the sister of Khadija anha, she came to the door of the Prophet ﷺ after Khadija had passed. And she came to the door She, she um, and they asked who is it and then when she responded and he heard her voice <coughs> when he heard her voice, he said, Allahumma Khadija. He said, Oh Allah Khadija. Like he heard her sister's voice. When he heard her sister's voice, he remembered Khadija. So this is the, the idea here is this loyalty. Like she's passed away. Okay, just because she's passed away doesn't mean she's, she's gone. Uh, part of the tradition of the Muslims actually, subhanAllah, we were talking about this yesterday. It was an interesting reflection of the brothers were saying. Like the way that you're raised in Western culture and civilization is that me in the current time, I'm the most advanced. And all of those people who came before me, they were actually a little bit more backward than I am. They didn't have the same technology, they didn't have the same ethics, they didn't have the same morals, they had some backward things, so on and so forth. And I'm now, the, the peak of this civilizational advancement is the moment that we're in, right? And what that does, it, it breeds this arrogance in the person's heart that makes it so they can't benefit from others, past or present, actually. But the Muslim worldview is the opposite in many ways. It's like we have these generations of people who came before us, and they were better than us. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, the best generation is the generation that's with me, then the one after it, then the one after it, and then it's like gradual decline. doesn't mean there's not great people. There's always great people. But as a whole generation, the best generation, generation of the Prophet ﷺ. So there's a humility then that we deal with the people who came before us. And because there's a humility then we're able to benefit from people even now and people in the past. And uh, part of the etiquette then of course of, of, the, of the Muslims over time is to not forget those who came before. Right? It's not some sort of ancestor worship. A lot of people, they, people are very creative, mashallah, with their terms. It's not some sort of ancestor worship to pray for your ancestors, right? Like, uh, we were, 
we are visiting like someone who's passed away. It's all of this, uh, subhanAllah, at some point you're trying to figure out like, uh, <laughs> there's a way that things were understood for a long time. And then there's been a lot of confusion. So you never understand, you never, it's hard to figure out where people are at. All right? So like a normal thing is to visit people who have passed away. An even more normal thing is to visit the burial sites of righteous people who have passed away. It's totally normal. Part of the sunnah of the Prophet and them, very normal thing to do. You go to the place where someone righteous is buried, you make dua for them, you make dua for yourself, you believe that maybe inshallah the dua will be more likely to be answered, and you move on with your life. It's not like something... Uh, to the extent that we were in um, Istanbul, we were in the neighborhood of Ayyub Sultan, and there is a really interesting phenomenon in that neighborhood. There was one of the brothers I was visiting, he, he lived there in that neighborhood. Because initially nothing was there, right? There's the burial place of Ayyub Sultan, and then there's a neighborhood that grows around it. But when the neighborhood grows, there's people who were buried what used to be outside the city, right? And as the neighborhood grows, now it's growing into the graveyards. And the people, out of their respect for those who came before, when there were certain righteous people who were known for their piety and stuff, they built the neighborhoods around them. So like we'd be walking down the street, you know, there's a road, and there's a, whatever you call that thing in the middle of the road, it probably has a name. What's it, like a cement in the middle of the road? A divider? Like the divider in the middle of the road? Huh? Median. Median. That's a good word, median. So this thing in the middle of the road, the median, but there's, I have like sidewalks on both sides. Okay, so there's a sidewalk, there's the median, there's a sidewalk on the median, the sidewalk on the other side, road on the other side, okay? In the neighborhood, one lane roads. And in the median, there's someone buried there. It's still there. <laughs> like, there's a bunch of grass, bunch of grass, bunch of grass, and then there's just like a little thing, and there's a sign, it says, Sheikh so-and-so was buried here, and we make dua for him. And then the neighbor, and then you walk like another 10, 10, you know, 10 minutes or so, you go up the hill and there's like another person buried there. You're like, subhanAllah, this is amazing. Because they, they knew like these people, these righteous people, we don't want to mess with that, you know? So, uh, that's what I was saying. So we were visiting someone who, uh, and, and another thing is that, you know, we believe that righteous people, when they die, they don't die the same way that other people die, right? Like with the shuhada, it's very relevant right now with everything that's happening in Gaza and other places, right? Uh, uh, maybe can someone I think they don't know where to go If they have kids If they know Someone can handle it You got it They got it They got it You got some If they need help I don't know if they do or not So, so um, The Shuhada are living Right Ahya'un inda rabbihim yurzaqun Ahya'un inda rabbihim yurzaqun That they're alive with their um, Their Oh MashaAllah. Uh, is it Muhammad, maybe Muhammad Zaki, you can touch base with them too. That's you. Abdurrahman is there, yeah. Okay. Um, they're welcome either way, just so that because it's their first time, so we just want to make sure they know. And um, that the martyrs are alive with their Lord being provided for. That they're, they're overjoyed with what Allah gives them from His bounty. So we believe, so tell me, like, when Allah mentions the people, right? He mentions in, in the, the prophets and the martyrs and the siddiqeen 
and as salihin you know, Allah mentions all of these categories of people. So when we visit them, even after they passed away, st- we still believe like they're alive. And like you can, you can visit, it's as if you're visiting them. God, this is getting to be a beleaguered point. Uh, anyways, the Shaykh was saying that like the way that you make dua for the person that you're visiting, make sure you make dua for their teachers. Because this is part of the way that you respect them. Make dua for their teachers, make dua for their family. So my point is, part of this loyalty, it's a living loyalty to our families and the people who have come before. Imam Abu Hanifa radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said that after his teacher passed away, not a single salat passed except that he made dua for Hamad. Hamad was his teacher that he stayed 18 years with, Abu Hanifa. From the age of 22 to 40, he stayed with Hamad. And after Hamad passed away, that's when he began teaching. And he named his son Hamad. So you see like this loyalty. He said, not a single prayer passed except that I made dua for Hamad. And he's like, and not... And, and he said, and I never, I never extended my feet in the direction of the house of Hamad. Even if he's not in his company. So I never, so this is lo- it's the idea of loyalty. It's not, you don't have to do all of these things, but just understand the concept. Now, what happens oftentimes with people who become Muslim, or they become more committed at different points, is that there are loyalties, but we have to figure out how we're going to navigate them. Right? Because it might be that I'm at a point where I need some distance between myself and that relationship. Okay. Uh, so for example, if you think about the hadith of the man, that by the way always gets misquoted. If, uh, please pay attention and be the source of correcting this misquoting of this hadith. Okay? The hadith of the man who killed 99 people. Okay? The man killed 99 people. He went to... He went to Abid. Okay, he went to an Abid. First person he went to was an Abid. He went to a worshiper. He went to a righteous person. Right? He asked this righteous person, I've killed 99 people. Is it possible for me to make tawbah? Can I repent? And he said, no. So he killed him. He completed the hundred. Some time passed. He wanted to repent still. So he said, he went to an Alim. The hadith, they're not the same two people. Almost every time I hear this hadith in English, even from people of knowledge sometimes, it's misquoted. I don't know if the translation is wrong in the books of... But it's a very serious mistake actually in the the misquoting. The first one says a a worshiper. The second one says a scholar. Second time he goes to a scholar. He says, I killed a hundred people. Can I repent? He says, yes. He has a different answer, right? He says, yes, you can repent. Then he says, but you need to leave the place that you live in and go to this other land. Right? So what is he telling him? He's telling him, you can repent, but you're fresh in your repentance. And when you're fresh in your repentance, you can't probably be close to the things that you used to be part of. You need some distance. That's not necessarily a break from the loyalty. Okay, this is the point that I'm trying to make. Sometimes... There's an, like sometimes people become Muslim, they break all of their previous relationships. Maybe they had to. Either because of themselves or because of the other people. Maybe they didn't. Some people are not like that. Maybe some people, they become Muslim, they're like, well, I, can, I need to step away from these ones, but these ones I can maintain at some level. That's fine. My point is to understand this idea that it's not a break in loyalty to want some space from certain people in order to prevent harm. Okay? 
There can be cases like that. But if we have relationships that are standing, for example, like may Allah help us and, and give us tawfiq, you know, I would like to believe, and I, I don't know, I, you know, we have to be aware of the maker of claims, and you know, I hope that it's not a claim. But I pray, I'll just say this, I pray that Allah maintains in my heart a love and a respect and an admiration for Shaykh Taha. Why? Because I was a new Muslim, we were married, we've been, we got married one year after I became Muslim. We moved into Bidnul Apartments here, Bidnul Way, Balboa Fountain or whatever it's called. We moved in over here, Shaykh Taha was a new Imam. So he wasn't busy. New Imams, by the way, when you get a new Imam, that's your time. Because the first year or two, they're not busy. <laughs> it takes time to build relationships and get busy with everything, right? So the first year, Sheikh Taha was here. He was in his office. We just go sit in his office. We spend time, almost every day we, we spent time with Sheikh Taha. You know? And then we went and we studied Arabic. We came back. We'd spend time with Sheikh Taha, speak Arabic with him, practice my Arabic, all of these kind of things. Then we, he knew that we wanted to study more. And he, he did many things actually for us. Like he, there was a man who was in charge of this Islamic university that would give scholarships to people. He came on Jummah, so he told me, I want you to come with me to lunch. And we went to lunch together, and he's the one who gave us a scholarship to be able to study, this, this man who came. Because Sheikh Taha took us to lunch together, right? Sometimes we would come back as students, and he would take a little bit of money that he had kept on the side from Zakat, you know? He knew we were students, like you don't really have anything when you're a student. And you're a student, which also, like full-time students are in the Hanafi school, they could take zakat, even if they're not poor, actually, um, if you're a full-time student. So, and full-time doesn't mean like uh, three classes or something, like it's not, it's not judged by, by the university system. Full-time means you're mutafariq lin ilm. You don't do anything other than knowledge, and so you can't work, right? So, uh, so he, we would come and he would be like, here's a little bit of zakat money, I put it on the side for you guys so that you can have some money when you go back, buy books and stuff like that. He used to do stuff like this. So it doesn't like, 20 years have passed actually, this was 2000, this, 2005, 2006, almost 20 years have passed. But like, there's a, there's a right that he has because of that. It doesn't matter, like we can... We, Alhamdulillah, we don't to actually disagree on things, but even if we were to disagree on things, like there's a right, like, he has it, what can you do, you know? There's some of the brothers, like, maybe some of you have seen Yaqeen Institute, Dr. Osman Umarji, you know, he does research on Yaqeen Institute, Sheikh Osman, Dr. Osman. I remember when we were college students, I was at UCSD and he was at UCI, and every now and then he would drive down and spend like the evening with us, or spend the night with us, spend the day with us, hang out with us and, and then like so there's like a relationship you know we have to this loyalty to relationships is very important and it's very much lost on American culture and I know things are like really busy things are really it's hard I understand but it's lost on us and it's not good and uh, not everything that we have from our culture we should take some things we should we should keep I told you guys before one time when you're in Egypt that the uh, Egyptians, mashallah, really good at mutaba'ah. It's like it's following up with people. Because part of it is because they understand their society, the way that it works. There's no way to get anything done that's better than knowing someone. And they know that immediately. And by the way, this is true almost anywhere. 
But in, in, in the U.S., we think like it's better to just look it up online. It's actually not better to look it up online. If you know someone, this is much better. You can immediately connect. So their society completely runs on knowing someone. And you, so you intentionally, maybe you don't even, so it became part of, everyone maintains their relationships. You know, you meet the person, you talk to someone, you keep in touch with them, you know, you know what they, who they are, what they do, so on and so forth, because like something, then something happens, you say, oh, I'm going to call so-and-so. And if they don't know someone, they know someone, like everyone is connected, right? So I remember I met this person and then I didn't even know them really, you know, like I met them, we talked a little bit and everything else, we exchanged numbers. And like a week passed, the person called me, they were distraught. And I said, what's wrong? You know, is everything okay? And so they're like, it's been a week, we haven't heard from you. I was worried. Like, is everything okay? Everything is fine? <laughs> like, they were sincerely worried. Like, it's been a whole week, I haven't heard from you. I was just kind of, in my head, I'm like a very American, you know? Like, what do you, like, I don't even, first of all, I don't even know you. Second of all, I don't have any reason to contact you. So why would I contact you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is, it's not good actually. But like this, so this is loyalty. And it's not necessarily the case, by the way, that all American society was like that. I, I'll give you an example. My, my mom, I remember growing up, she had this book. <clears throat> it was like the master person book. That book had everyone, every, all of her people that she knew at some sort of level. It had their name, it had their families. It had their address, it had their phone numbers, everything was in that book. And one of the ways that the relationships are kept, of course, was Christmas, right? The holidays. It's not a bad thing, by the way, to, like, uh, how should I say this? If you have a holiday and you build certain good cultural things around that holiday, it's not a bad thing, okay? So, like, a good cultural thing around Christmas is that people would, they used to send each other cards, right? So, every Christmas we have a whole part of the house. My family was not Muslim growing up, okay? So, <laughs> just to be clear on this. Every, all, all in the, the, the house, we have a whole section of all of the cards that came. And my mom would send all of those cards every year. She'd sit down right by hand, like 30, 40 cards, and put them in the mail and drop them in the mail. So I see some Muslims do this with Eid. They'll take like a family picture and they'll send everyone the Eid card. It's a nice thing, right? It maintains the relationship. One of the goals of these ethics is to foster strong and enduring friendships among people. Such friendships can only be established and sustained when friends value and remain loyal to one another. Loyalty is the key to maintaining long-lasting friendships. It has been said, this is an interesting statement, it has been said that an unscrupulous person does not have any long-term friends. This is either because they were not loyal to their friends or because their friends did not like them and eventually abandoned them. It's an interesting statement, right? He's saying, if you find someone and they don't have long-term friendships, right, then we should ask why. Again, let's, let's put it this way. If we don't have long-term friendships, we should ask ourselves why. Maybe, because other people might have any number of reasons. But for ourselves, you know, why don't I have those relationships? Is it because I moved around too much? Is it because I'm actually in the adab? Like maybe I'm just a bad-mannered person. And I can't get along with anyone. Maybe it's because I, I didn't maintain those relationships. You know, that could be it. And uh, like I will say, for example, myself, I'm guilty of both of these. I'm not always the easiest person to get along with. And I don't maintain my relationships, which is a bad thing. Right? So these people... Alhamdulillah, moving to San Diego was nice in some ways because at least I saw people who I've known them for a long time, you know. Uh, but may Allah help us to maintain these relationships.
You know, there's hadith, the um, beautiful hadith of Ibn Umar. Ibn Umar, is an, there's, an, there's a story of Ibn Umar, the son of Umar, right? That one time he was out and he came across a Bedouin man and they exchanged greetings and, and when he figured out who this person was, uh, it's also part of this loyalty, right? And you see it in our traditional cultures. A lot of places, like, everyone can figure out who everyone is. Definitely, like, with Afghans, you see this for sure, right? <laughs> you know, like, you ask a few questions, and you're like, okay, yeah, we're related by <laughs> this person who was, like, the son of my cousin's wife who, you know, like, there's some, but they're able to connect it. It's like, subhanAllah, there's a chart, and you can fill in the chart. So Ibn Omar, he's having a conversation with the person. They, they have this conversation, and then he gets down off his animal, and he takes the turban off his head and he puts it on the head of the person and he takes the reins of his animal that he was riding and he puts it in the hands of the person. And they were like, what are you doing? You know, and he's like, this is just a Bedouin guy. Like he's, he's just some like basically country guy, you know? Like you, you, would have been, you gave him a little bit of respect, he would have been happy, why are you doing all this? And he said, this person, my father used to love his father. My father used to love his father. وَمِنْ سُنَّةِ الرَّسُولِ صلى الله عليه وسلم لَا تَقْتَعْ وَدَّ أَبِيكَ From the sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, is to not sever the love of your father. Okay? It's not about the father. Like the idea here again, like again, sometimes it could be, relationships can be complicated. Okay? But the idea is that there's a loyalty there. Of course, if Umar, the thing you have to think about with Ibn Umar, right? His father is Umar ibn Khattab. He's one of the greatest people that ever lived after the prophets. If his father loves someone, his love is justified. Okay? And Ibn Umar knows if my father loves someone, like, like you think about Omar's, Omar's actions are part of the sunnah. Because the Prophet said, follow my sunnah and the sunnah of the righteous khulafa who come after me. Follow my way and the way of the righteous leaders who come after me. Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali. So in a sense, Omar's way is part of the Prophet's way. And Ibn Omar knows that. So my father loved this man, I have to keep this relationship. In contrast, the Feta, this noble person, remains loyal to their old friends, maintaining a good relationship with them, even if they no longer have a use for them. Uh, it's not a, like a transaction, right? <clears throat> this idea of like, I only have a relationship with people because I need something from them. It's a very ugly thing. Very ugly thing. And we have to watch our hearts with this. This is why actually many of the righteous people, don't take this the wrong way, many of the righteous people, there's two categories of people they often kept distance from. They often kept distance from very, very wealthy people and people who are in political power. Not necessarily because those people are bad in and of themselves. They might actually be good. But the thing is, is that in this kind of relationship, it becomes more difficult to maintain one's integrity, right? Like if you're a scholar and you're supposed to be on principle, doing what's right, no matter what the consequence is. Oftentimes you're gonna go through times when you have less money, you have more money, you have, there's gonna be ups and downs in that because that's part of staying true to this principle, right? So if you're really close with people who are really rich, it's like, well, why am I really close with them? Is it because they support me? Or is it because this person who's in political power, why am I close to them? Is it because that they can give me things? 
they can ensure my protection, they can do this, they can do that, or is it because of some, there could be good intentions, but I'm just saying they would have, uh, because why? Because I don't want to have relationships with people just because there's some benefit in it. I have a relationship with them because they're a human being, they have honor, they have dignity, they have a right to be respected, they have a right to be treated decently, and I'm going to do that to them. And if I can get something from them, I can get something from them. Alhamdulillah, hopefully they get something from me. And if not, Alhamdulillah, that's fine too. You know, we're, it's not about uh, these things. It's just, it really is the spirit of service, right? We always say that the, the key to everything in the end is to love and to serve. We want to understand. Always remind yourself of this. Because the teachings of Islam are many. So sometimes you get confused. How do I do this? How do I do that? How do I whatever, you know, how do I... Just do, if I'm making the intention to love people, I'm making the intention to serve people, everything becomes clear. Or if everything, I don't know what to do. Okay, what would the servant do? The person whose only intent is to serve, what would they do? This is what they would do. Okay, plus. Would they care about it? Would they not care about it? I remember one time we were with one of the, uh, the shiuch, and someone made a suggestion, right? Like, Shaykh, you know, when we have gatherings, maybe we could do this or this. You know, it would be nice. It's actually, uh, it was a good suggestion, actually. And someone was translating for the Shaykh. And uh, he translated for the Shaykh. Shaykh just nodded his head. And then the translator asked him, he was like, Shaykh, so what do you think about that? The Shaykh was just like, Ma'ana inna khadim, khadim <laughs> the big sheikh, he was like, I'm, I'm just a servant. Servant doesn't have an opinion. That's what the people want, alhamdulillah. That's what they want, bismillah. <laughs> you know, it's just like, this makes it very clear. It's like, okay, that's what people want, alhamdulillah. That's what people want. Yeah, bismillah, we'll do this thing. Uh, so, anyways, one page just took the whole class, alhamdulillah. Offering food, we did 24. Number 25. Let your generosity and goodness surround all people equally without discrimination. Let your generosity and goodness surround all people equally without discrimination. Is it different in this one? Yes. Sorry, what did I do? Did I just do loyalty? No. 23, 23 is be loyal to your friends. 23. 24 was offer food and gifts wholeheartedly. I think we did this last time. Gifts? Like you exchange gifts, you exchange love. Sound familiar? Yeah. And then we said we go back to 23 because in the PDF, there, 23 was skipped. Yeah. Okay, so 25 is let your generosity and goodness surround all people equally without discrimination. SubhanAllah. These things are so beautiful. Can you imagine having like a community and civilization of people that did these things? Let your generosity and goodness surround all people equally without discrimination. This is a good story. Check this out. Starts off with the verse وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةٍ لِلْعَالَمِينَ And we have not sent you, O Muhammad وسلم, except as a mercy to the world. Al-Alameen actually is Masi Wallah. It's Masi Wallah. It's everything other than Allah. So the, the, the thing to remember about the way of the Prophets is that the way of the Prophets is a mercy to everything in existence. Because it brings balance. It brings balance. 
That's why the student of knowledge, the seeker of knowledge, and the person of knowledge, everything in creation asks forgiveness for them, even the fish in the ocean. Remember the first text that we covered here in San Diego? That even the fish in the ocean make, ask forgiveness for that person. Why? Because if that person truly knows the way of the prophets, then that brings benefit even to the fish in the ocean. And probably there's no time in history where that's been more clear than now. Right? I mean, subhanAllah. It's so clear now. Uh, you know, my, my mother comes from a land that saw this really clearly. Okay? My mother is from Newfoundland, Canada. Newfoundland, Canada, for people, for Arabs, you can understand it as Saeed Masr. It's like Saeed Canada. Saeed Canada. Everyone, they're different. They have their own way of doing things. They have their own. Actually, there's over 300 distinct dialects in Newfoundland. It's a small island because the people there, it's, it's all like historically, it was all fishing villages. Most, many of them were disconnected from each other. You know, you live there. Nobody comes to you for 10 months out of the year. Once a year, someone comes, you get some like molasses, some sugar and some flour. And then the rest of the year you survive, you know, and the people lived off fish because in that area, the cod, you could literally just like, even when we were kids and we would go visit before the fishery collapsed. Our, our, my cousin, we'd, take it, we'd go out in like the motorboat. You just go out into the bay, you put down the line. So you don't even fish, you just put down a line. They call it jigging. You just put down a line, you pull the line, fish come up. SubhanAllah. And you go home and you eat it. <laughs> like people live like that. And, uh, you know, and then probably, I don't know when, that was probably like in my, I guess it was probably like in the 90s or something, the fishery collapsed. Collapsed, collapsed. Like, because all these international freighters were coming and like taking all the fish and like millions of tons of fish, right? And then so they would take it from the deep waters, they would no longer come into the shallow waters. The entire economy of the whole island just died. Like, it was crazy, like, huge thing, you know? And, uh, and you see it. Like, subhanAllah, why would the fish in the ocean make dua for the person? Because the way of the Prophet says to them, you can't do that. You know, even the Sharia, there's limits on, there's difference of opinion, but there's limits on the, the, how much profit you can make even on a product. There's an idea, like there's, there's an idea of ribh fash. There's a product, there's a profit that's excessive. Why? Because if you, and you have to sell actual things. Why? Because otherwise you start ruining the economy and uh, creates, a, it creates oppression, right? And you destroy the oceans and you destroy the mountains and you destroy the, the glaciers and the ice starts to melt and the temperatures change and you're in Southern California in December uh, it's purely hypothetical right it's December in Southern California it's 80 degrees outside and you're like what is going on right now you know it's it's really a strange thing subhanAllah so we're a mercy to all of the world it's the way of the prophets it requires a lot of discipline right and it's not related to this is this point you know I've said it before one of the things that we're often told about Muslim history is that the Muslims became defeated by the Westerners because we were like backwards and stuff. We became worried about material things and we became backwards and then like these other countries made advancements and then they defeated us. It's not really true. You ask my wife about it. She's, uh, she took a class with this lady, Dr. Mona Hassan. She's a historian in Duke. And she made it very clear. This is not what happened. What happened actually is that other people were willing to take things places we weren't willing to take them. 
They were willing to treat people and the earth and the world in ways that we weren't willing to treat them. And so they were able then to do things that we weren't able to do. Inshallah, that will pass. Because extremes cannot, they can never last. Extremes can never last. It's one of the dangerous things about people who become religious and they get extreme. One of the shaykh, he was, gave advice to one of, our, one of my friends. He told him, this thing that you're worried about, it's, it's less of a concern than the extremism that you have in your religion. That's worse, because that's going to make you burn out over time. Prophet said that when you uh, dive in, 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 in the dina mitin, the Prophet said, this religion, it's, it's strong. So when you dive into it, dive into it with rifq. Dive into it with gentleness. Because it will overcome you. You know, that this deen is ease and nobody will make it difficult except that it overcomes them. Right? So, and this is true for other things too. When there's extreme, it can't last. It has to end. And when it ends, then a better way will come forward. A better way comes forward and it will be very clear. And I think people are beginning to see that. There is a better way. There, is a, you know, there was this claim for so long that this is the best way to live. It's clear this is not the best way to live. Okay, so is there some other way to live? Yes, there is. It's the way of the prophets. May we be committed to that. Qais ibn Sa'd ibn Ubadah was asked, have you seen someone more generous than yourself? Okay, so this man was asked, have you seen anyone more generous than yourself? He said, yes. When we stopped by a family's house in the countryside, the woman informed her husband that they have two guests. Upon hearing this, the husband slaughtered a camel and served it to us. It's like you hear, th- uh, it's not easy to slaughter a camel and process it. <laughs> Just to make a point, you know. Like we hear it, we think about like going to the grocery store and buying two pounds of ground beef and putting it on the stove and like cooking it real quick. This is not what's being. Asked. The person slaughtered the camel, processed the camel, right? Like skin the camel, cut the camel, get the meat into the pieces and cook the meat. He he did this the first day. The following day he did the same thing again and he served it to us. We said, we have not eaten much from the one that you slaughtered yesterday. He said, I do not serve my guests overnight food. We stayed in his house for two or three days because of the rainy weather and he kept doing the same thing every day. When we were leaving, we put a hundred dinars in his house. We thanked the wife, apologized for any inconvenience and left. As we were on our way, a man started calling upon us. Even this, can you imagine a civilization where you actually, just like you're traveling, you can go to a person's house and they actually give you three days in hospitality? This is the sunnah, right? Sunnah is the traveler comes through, they have three days hospitality. (laughs) Your whole life, your whole architecture, the way that your home is built, everything is designed to accommodate this actually. Don't imagine like your three bedroom house that's designed to accommodate only you. It's designed to accommodate a guest, right? Uh, they come three days, they give them the hospitality. So you're right. Three days is your right. <laughs> you can demand it. <laughs> so they, said, they give them the three, they leave the hundred dinars. We thank the wife, we apologize for inconvenience, and we left. As we were on our way, a man started calling upon us. Stop, O travelers. Did you give me money in return for my hospitality? So did you give me, I gave you hospitality, you gave me, you gave me money in return for the hospitality? He came closer and he said, Either you take your money back, or you take my arrow. My arrow. <laughs> like basically, don't dishonor me like this. You came, I gave you hospitality. You don't give me money for the hospitality. 
Either you take your money back or I'm going to shoot you. He literally said it. Yeah, if, you don't, if, if you don't take the money back, I'm going to shoot you. This is like their idea. We have this. Uh, and subhanAllah, you, you hear stories like this. Many people who, my, my family, you know, maybe if you, uh, I won't tell my family story. There's another family story on, on YouTube from when they were leaving. This uh, older Afghan man, he tells this story. He says, we were traveling. We were in like a part of Afghanistan that's very cold. And we arrived to this village and we said, we were planning to spend the night in the masjid, but we arrived after dark and there was a storm. And we told them, show us the masjid, we'll sleep in the masjid. They're like, what do you mean? You sleep in the masjid, you're gonna die. You know, like you can't sleep in the masjid. And he doesn't say anything to him. And they said, we're just standing there. And then all of a sudden this man's family leaves and goes across the like walkway to the house that's next door. And then he tells us, come in. And they stay in the night, right? This random person came in the middle of the night, they get, the, uh, they get this. Mercy is an essential part of the sunnah of the Prophet Therefore the people of Futuwa should embody this mercy towards all of creation. Divine mercy surrounds everyone regardless of their nationality, race, religion, or character. Or character. Okay? Uh, regardless of their nationality, race, religion, or character. The sun rises and fall and the rain falls on all people equally without discrimination. Just as divine mercy extends to all people alike, the generosity and goodness of the people of Futuwa should also surround all people, people equally without discrimination. This is what it means to adopt the character, like the التخلق بأخلاقنا that Allah is described with certain qualities. We have to, we try to take on those qualities. The people of Futuwa extend their goodness and generosity to all without distinction. They treat every human being with equal care, love, and benevolence, showing no difference in their treatment of close friends and strangers. This is because they believe that every person, regardless of their identity, deserves kindness and respect. If anyone has any comments or questions or anything you'd like to share, please feel free to do so. Anyone? Yes, Andrew. It's beautiful to have you here, Andrew. Allah bless you. Interesting. 
So you would, it's as if you're, like if you were walking to that door, you'd turn around, face this way, and walk backwards. That's how we move forward in life. Wow, that's really profound. SubhanAllah. Hmm. Yeah, SubhanAllah. Allah forgive us. There's this statement, I think it was, someone who's in the seminary might remember, but I think it was attributed to Ali ibn Abi Talib that he said, I'm the slave of the one who taught me even a letter. Like, I think about, for example, like the man who taught us, <coughs> our teacher who taught us Arabic, you know? And SubhanAllah, like these, these Arabic teachers that we had, if you're a full-time Arabic student, they sit with you, just you, usually in class, for five hours a day. You know? So like, it was myself and my wife and the teacher for five hours a day in class. Five days a week. Yeah. Yeah. This is when you learn how to study. <laughs> That's not including homework. And you can't, you can't get away with cheating or not doing your homework properly because you're coming back in front of the teacher the next day for five hours. Like you can't, there's no shortcuts, right? Like you, it's like, oh, I just finished the homework real quick. He would just go, he would take a nap. He would actually take a nap. He'd be like, do your homework. I'm going to take a nap. We'd take a nap. He's like, I can't do anything for you if you don't do your work. And he was like a good teacher, mashallah. Uh, but I think like every single letter is, is his Every single thing is his, subhanAllah um, yeah, Subhanallah I'll stop the recording and I'll tell you also like He uh, And people, subhanAllah, they, 